real estate is a very realistic path to have that sort of life, but it's not like you can just do it tomorrow. It's going to take years of working 60 hours a week. I worked essentially two jobs for three years until I was able to at least go down to one job. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by ecospace.com. Now here's your hosts, Adam and Jason. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam, AAA Adams, and I am so excited because today we have Bree Schmidt, and she's going to help us with a ton of things where it goes between understanding the financing between uh, residential versus commercial loans, whether they are the duplexes, triplexes, fourplexes, five or six plexes. And we're even going to talk about what asset classes she invests in, whether it's A or B or C. And we'll even get into the why she's chosen that. We'll also talk about why she's chosen to go out of state instead of at in her own backyard. So welcome to the show, Miss Bree Schmidt. How are you today? Great. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Bree, the first question that I wanted to find out from you is, is how long you've been in real estate? When did you get started? Uh, what, were you, what was going through your mind? What were you thinking about? Yeah, just tell us a little bit about that very first deal. Yeah, the first deal was a house hack. So if you don't know what a house hack is, it's when people use, you know, traditionally low money down residential financing to live in an apartment building and then rent out the other unit. So with me, I used an FHA loan about 10 years ago uh, to acquire my first property and really had no intentions of being a, a landlord or a real estate investor. I had a great corporate job. Um, I loved what I did for a living. And this was just a way to help subsidize our, our housing payment. So I live in Chicago um, and I live in what we would consider to be like an AB type market where housing is quite expensive. You could buy a three flat property for about $100,000 less than you can buy a single family house next door. Same condition, same size. So at the time, my husband and I were about to get married. You know, we didn't need a 3,000 square foot house for the two of us. So we just bought an apartment building thinking over the years we would just deconvert and take over another floor you know, and then eventually once, you know, we needed the space, we would have a three-story house that we just converted over. Uh, it turned out to be quite easy though. So we, you know, it wasn't that hard. We were in a, an AB type class at a class asset. Getting renters was really easy. My tenants always paid on time. About nine months after we bought the building, uh, my father had passed away and he was diagnosed with a very aggressive form of cancer and he passed away literally the day before he was supposed to retire. And that really messed with my head because here I was in my late 20s. You know, I was working, I'd spent 10 years building a corporate career and like flashed forward to when I'm 60 and was like, well, I'm going to spend the next 30 of my 30 years of my life working 40, 50 hours a week like my dad did. And then what? Like, what if you don't get the chance to do all those things that you wanted to do? You know, and he would always talk about when I retire, I'm going to go do this. And when I retire, I'm going to go do that. And he never got the opportunity. Um, so it really is that it really messed with me mentally as far as like something's got to change. Like I can't do this. Um, I've only, I'm only 10 years in. I can't do another 30 to then have reap no rewards. Um, so we looked at a couple of different options and really thought about what our next path would be. And I really liked real estate investing. I'd actually at that time been licensed for about, what, maybe eight years. I just never used my license really for anything. Um, 
So we went and bought another property and then another property. And our third property was a, uh, a Burr strategy, which is a buy or was a rehab project. So once we finished that rehab project, we had access to a lot of capital. We were able to pull it out and refinance the loan and then decided, you know, what should we be doing next? And that's when I started looking out of state um, and ended up in the Milwaukee market, which is about an hour and a half drive from Chicago. Um, but that's more of a cash flow based market. So I chose to invest in a C class asset market that was very cash flow based, not appreciation based, versus my Chicago rentals are more appreciation based, not cash flow based. I have two follow up questions. The first one is I know you have a really interesting story about the why you got into real estate uh, behind that. So I want to talk a little bit about your dad. And the other thing that I wanted to ask you is, it took, you said it took nine months um, before you got that call. You were looking, you, were, you, you wanted to get stuff done, but it, it took about nine months. So a couple, question, a couple pieces on the nine month thing. Number one, is there a way to fast track it? So if I'm, I'm brand new and I, I don't want it to have to take nine months. I want it to take one or two months. Is there a way to fast track that? And the second part of the nine month part is like, what was it really that kept you going? Was it that story with your dad that, that, uh, that I want you to share? Or is there something else that had you, had you keep going after three months, four, five, six, seven months, and you still don't have a deal? Eight, and all of a sudden, nine months, and you're, you're starting to wonder, should we keep going or not? What was it that kind of kept you going? So it's a process. So my job now, I work with, I'm a real estate broker. I own my own company and we work with investors. So I work with a lot of investors now. And I tell them the average time is three to six months. You know, like it's quite rare. I've worked with hundreds of investors. Uh, it's quite rare for someone to find something like the first weekend they're out. It's happened a couple of times, but the vast majority, it takes it probably three to six months. And really that's getting comfortable with what you're going to be doing. You know, it's not, it's not all cut and dry for a lot of people, um, especially if you're house hacking, you know, you're going to be living there. So you need like the neighborhood or the aesthetics of the apartment, right? How, what's your commute to work? All those things become factors on top of it being an investment property. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you just got to keep going, right? Um, I knew it was something we wanted to do. Our alternatives were to buy a condo for the same price or, you know, maybe a little bit less. So it was really a smart financial decision. I looked at it as I can have a $3,000 mortgage and rent it out for $2,500 or I can have a $2,000 mortgage and not have any renters. So mm -hmm. that's a big price difference. I, my mortgage is either $500 a month or $2,000 a month. I'll sure. take the time it takes to find something that works. And the weird thing about it though is that this happens all the time it has to like, it will feel right. You know, like you will look at, I said, I've had clients look at 60 different properties and nothing has clicked for them. But then for the one property just feels right. It all makes sense. Mm. All of your worries go away. And I like to explain to people is like, I'm a big, I'm a big judger of how I sleep at night. Right. So if I sleep like a baby, though I have a baby and she doesn't sleep. So I don't want to use that term very much anymore. <laughs> um, if I sleep like my husband, <clears throat> then nothing is keeping me up at night worrying me, right? Um, but if I'm worried about like, how am I going to pay for this? How are we going to afford this? You know, how are we going to handle this renovation? Like, what if the tenants don't pay? It's not the right deal for you then. 
You know, it will get to a point, you will get to a point where it just makes sense. Love it. Love it. And yeah, tell us a little bit, because I think it's, um, it's very, it's a story that hits home, I think, for all of us. And I know that it made an impact on your investing career. So can you tell us a little bit about when your dad passed away, kind of what you were going through at that time, what you were thinking? Yeah. So it was after we bought our first property. Um, It was a few months after we bought our first property. My dad was diagnosed with a very aggressive form of cancer. And he ended up passing away a few months later, despite all the treatments available. But he passed away like literally the the day before he was supposed to retire. And so instead of his retirement party that we had planned, it ended up being his wake. And it really messed with me because he was 60 years old. And he always talked about, when I retire, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go travel. I'm going to go, you know, and and he never got to do any of it. So at the time I was in my late 20s and I had spent, you know, 10 years building up my corporate career that I actually, I loved doing, but I thought like, I've got 30 more years of this. And what if I don't get a chance to go do all those things that I always wanted to do, right? The reason I work is to be able to, to live my life. And it really flipped a switch in my head. Um, and completely changed the whole trajectory of my life where now my focus is 100% on the lifestyle that I want to have. And real estate was the avenue to get there. So what what did you do immediately differently? Did you have a job at the time and, and you decided to quit or what was kind of... Yeah, I worked for a few years actually. Um, so I real estate had always been you know, my side, my side hustle. Right. Um, so we ended up buying another three flat. Um, then we ended up buying another property that was a renovation project and we were able to pull a substantial amount of equity out of there. And then we started investing out of state all the while I was working still. Um, and had really no intentions. My long-term plan was really to, to build a portfolio, to continue to work, to use the cash flow, to pay down my properties. And then in like 15, 20 years, we would be in a position where, you know, we would be able to look at retirement. But it just got to the point where my my day job started getting in the way of my real estate. And I would wake up in the morning, not excited to go to work, but excited to think about properties and to talk mm-hmm. to banks, you know? Awesome. And that's when I really knew like, you know, it's time. Like we got to figure this out. So I quit my job. It's been about six years. And, you know, that was also very scary. You know, we had enough rental properties at the time to, you know, cover our basic needs with my husband working, but not enough to really do, you know, anything extra. Um, But it's been the greatest thing ever. So I really have, you know, zero regrets about it. Love it. Love it. Thank you for, I really appreciate you going into that. I know it's tough and, but that, that, that story resonates with me. That story just makes me um, have more motivation to just crush it because, I'm, I too often say, I th- think into the future. One day I'm going to travel all the time. One, when I'm older, I'm going to do this. When I'm retired, I'm going to do that. And, and, and it's a lot of work, 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 work right now. And I was thinking of when you said that, that you know, your, your dad had all these plans. He's like, when I retire, then I'm going to do this. And he put it off. And it was just, it was just sad that he never got to do some of those things. And it makes me think I want to make sure that I'm starting to live my life today uh, before I retire, which it just really resonates with me. I appreciate you sharing that. A couple. Yeah. yeah, Go ahead. ahead. Please go ahead. I'll say it's really, it's changed the way I look at life. Right. And 
the, you know, getting to be able to do whatever you want when you want and working towards that. It's not something that you can just say, hey, tomorrow I'm going to be able to do what I want whenever I want. It doesn't work that way. Uh, it takes years and years of hard work. And said so building the portfolio, especially with real estate, is a very uh, easy, I want to say easy path, a very realistic path to have that sort of life. But it's not like you can just do it tomorrow. It's going to take years of working 60 hours a week. I worked essentially two jobs for three years until I was able to at least go down to one job. That's that, I really appreciate you. I'm glad you got to say that. Um, <clears throat> so I want to I talk about a couple of things. Number one is that on, on the show, because I do larger syndications, um, like one property is 100 units. It's just mm-hmm. you quickly just buy something. Usually with a lot of partners, though. We have a lot of passive partners and a few uh, active partners, and we split the pie. Um, but getting doors is fast when you do it like that. And so I love having you on the show because we have another perspective. We have somebody who who's done a lot of like six plaques and and you say three flats, you know, four plexes, five plexes, maybe even duplexes. And so this is a, a niche that doesn't come onto the show enough. And you were able to buy so many of these properties. You added them up to a, about what was it, ninety six total? Ninety six units, yeah. Ninety six units, and um, which is just awesome. So can you tell us kind of the process, only the bird's eye view, kind of the overall process of what it took you to go from, you know, that first three flat to the second three flat, all of a sudden you have 96 units um, a few years later. What was, what did that look like? Did you have to refi a lot? Did you make a ton of money and just kept, it was easy or were you using the burst strategy? How did you grow to that number and how long did it take? Yep. So the difference was switching markets. Um, so I said in Chicago, the average price is about six hundred and seven hundred thousand dollars. Uh, you can't for a three flat, you know, property. Uh, you can't go very far, very fast when you're looking at residential financing, which is twenty five percent down payments. Um, you can do, only do so much, right? So I switched markets and went into the Milwaukee market, which is more of a um, cash flow based market. We're talking like. You know, it's when I was buying at least sixty to eighty thousand dollars for a duplex, ninety to one hundred and ten thousand dollars for a triplex, and so on. Um, so you were able to, you know, I for I could buy three properties for the price I could buy one for in Chicago. Um, so that was really the difference. But the other big difference was commercial financing. So with residential financing, you can have up to ten loans per person. So I could have ten. My husband could have ten. Uh, but you would have to be able to qualify with your own income. Well, I have no income now. So we only had his, his income. So we couldn't do, we couldn't each have our own loans. But one of the big caveats I had or problems I had was investing in an um, asset, you know, appreciation-based market. Once you get past a certain amount of loans, you cannot cash out refinance on any property you do not personally live in. So since I knew that our properties were appreciating, I didn't want to shoot myself in the foot and not be able to pull equity out down the road. So we went straight into, you know, a single member LLC with commercial financing. And I, you know, I had, did not find a bank to work with. Um, I sort of, I was calling banks for like days. I remember, you know, like, hey, you know, my name is Bree and this is what I do and this is the portfolio I want to buy. And they're just like, nope, click. And I, you know, I must have gotten 20 no's from the banks. 
until I finally posted on LinkedIn one day. I was like, listen, I've got this portfolio. I want to buy it. I need the financing. I'm stuck. Like, can anyone help me? And I remember this guy I have never met before called me on a Sunday morning and said, hey, I've got a commercial broker who, who thinks that he's got a bank for you. The deal though, he's, he charges two points, you know, but only if you move forward with the deal. I'm like, my, the numbers are great on this deal. I'll take the two points. Um, and that's how I got my first lender. And I, it was a regional bank. I would have never, I was all calling, you know, local banks and credit unions. Like everyone told me to, I never thought of going to a regional bank. Um, and they have been fantastic to work with. I've financed 28 properties with them since that. So that, and I paid the two points on that first, that first portfolio of five. So that relationship has developed over the years. It's been fantastic and a hundred percent worth, you know, people, people want to be cheap, right. And not pay all the time, but sometimes you have to pay for that kind of stuff. And it was well worth it in my opinion. I 100% agree. I, I relate to two things that you said absolutely a lot. And one of them is that I, we, we want to be cheap. And I remember when I got my first uh, three flat myself, I <clears throat> didn't get an attorney to draft me a $300 or $400 contract to sign with my tenants because I couldn't fathom wasting wasting that much money. <laughs> And it came back, so don't be cheap. And the second one that really resonated with me is that you got 20 no's, 20 different no's, and, um, and, but you kept going. I mean, I'm thinking about a listener right now, just they're thinking about, they'll pick up the phone and they'll call a bank and they'll say, this is what I want to accomplish. And the bank says, you can't do that. And they're like, shoot, they put down the phone and their dreams are crushed because they don't call somebody else. But then like the tenacity that you had, the relent, how you were unrelenting by calling not just that first one, but all of a sudden you had 19 called and you still went and called another one. And then you still posted something on LinkedIn. You're like, I'm going to make this work. It's, it's how can I, right? We read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And he, instead of saying, I can't do this, the bank won't let me do this. Bree says, well, how can I? There's got to be somebody. And I bet you if LinkedIn didn't work, you would call friends, you'd call family, you'd call. Oh yeah. Just keep finding a way because you knew that this was a good portfolio. So that's very, very inspiring. You were talking about out of state and you were talking about one of the reasons why you did that is because the three flats locally in Chicago were going to be around 600 plus thousand, but the three flats over there were going to be around 90-ish thousand. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what, um, what do, does the listener, if they get, if they're enticed on these, these more approachable dollar sign numbers here, if they're enticed by wanting to be a part of that, what would be the um, what would be the the things to consider when going out of state? Absolutely, I mean, there's a ton of things to consider, right? One of the the challenges if you're if you're investing in a cash flow market, it's typically going to be a C or D type asset class. So that's really important to understand because when I started buying. Um, I ended up buying from a lot of out-of-state California investors. So after I closed the deal, I would call them and say, like, hey, listen, I just wanted to know, you know, why are you selling? What were your challenges? And the biggest problem they always told me was, you know, I was just a duplex to the property manager. 
So I think it's incredibly important, probably the most important thing to do if you're going to be investing in a cash flow market out of state is to scale up quickly. You know, so if I, if you have a duplex, right, with my property manager and I've got 96 units with them and we both have a vacancy at the same time, guess who's a priority? It's going to be me, you know? So the, the, like they all kept saying like the, the vacancies took longer to rent than I expected, you know, and that's what happens when you are a small fish to that property manager. Like I tell you, like I love my property manager and I don't do it very often, but when I do, if I have to call them and say, hey, listen, I need you to stop what you're doing and handle this right this second. They will absolutely do that for me because I represent a large portion of their business, right? Um, So having scale, especially dealing with out-of-state and in lower-class markets is absolutely crucial. I would not suggest anyone, if you can't get, my number is always 20. You know, I think like at 20 units, that's enough to get your property manager's attention, right? Mm. And that's enough where if they're screwing up and like they're a little bit worried about losing your business. Um, but I would not go into an out-of-state cash flow market with just a duplex. And then, you know, and then two years later, plan on buying another duplex. It doesn't really work like that. I think you'll get absolutely crushed because the property manager will make or break your numbers. How, how fast do you have to buy the 20 units? Like, do you, do you have to have enough money to just like close on 20 all, I wouldn't at, all say that. at the same time or... I would say a few years, maybe two, okay. three years would be okay. appropriate. If you, could, if you could do this in under three years, definitely it's, it, that's where you start. I would that. think so, okay. yeah. Got it, got it. How about, how about just um, the, the asset classes? You mentioned that some of the cash flow markets, you find a lot of C and D class properties. And so my, my real question and, I, and what I want to understand and help the listener to understand as well is that there is an A class, there's B, there's C, there's D. Which one should we be looking at and why? What are the pros? What are the cons? What's that song? More money, more problems, right? So <laughs> when you're dealing, like, that's, what, that's what it is, right? You know, when's the last time you've seen a 10 cap? You know, Long time, long so, time, unless it was a bad market. Exactly, unless it was a bad market, right? So you don't see like people that, you know, if you have a 10 cap minimum, you are dealing with a D class market. And that 10 cap is not real. That's a 10 cap on paper. Um, so that's one thing people don't realize is the amount of work. It's so much more work dealing with C class assets um, just from a turnover perspective, from a tenant perspective. You know, I can tell you right now, like, there's never been a time where all my tenants have paid rent on the first in full. Never once. Never even close to that. You know, we're constantly like, you know, oh, they can pay $200 this week. And then, you know, next week they can pay $200. Like that, those sort of situations happen quite often in C-class markets. So keeping up with tenants about that stuff, you know, I've never had a tenant and just up and move out in the middle of the night in my A, B class markets. I've definitely had that happen in C class markets, you know, where all of a sudden I get a letter from the energy company that the, the utilities are shut off and my PM goes and checks it out and they're just gone. So you have to adjust your numbers. You know, there's, I would be in a very, very bad position if I use my experience from Chicago in, in A and B type markets and then applied those same metrics to a C-class market, I would be a lot more broke because it would be completely unrealistic. So I know people here like Bigger Pockets uses the 50% rule, 
you know, 50% of your rent will go towards expenses. In an A, B class type market, my experience has been it's more like 25%. But in a C class market, it is more like 50 or 60%. Yeah. <clears throat> Thank you for going into that. If, if I would have just heard this episode five years ago, right? you could have saved me <laughs> because approximately five years ago, four years ago, I bought um, three single families in St. Louis in a C minus area. And I bought one fourplex in St. Louis in a solid D area. And so number one thing that I didn't do is have 20 units like you suggested. Number two that I didn't do is buy C minus and D because of the numbers. The numbers were enticing. One of them was, more, I think, an 18 cap, the fourplex. And the, <laughs> houses, the houses were 12 plus for sure. And um, this fourplex, I was like, it, I w- my, my purchase price was going to be... 55,000 but it was making on paper 2200 a month so 550 per unit and when i do the math like you pay for the house in 3 years it's yeah. it, you, you don't you own it completely this or in great. two and a half years and so was, or the fourplex and i was thinking to myself this is a no brainer i can't lose there i can't lose i literally lost more than the purchase price. So I bought it for 55 and I lost 60,000 on the property. How does that happen? It's because numbers lie and it's because I didn't follow your advice. So to the listener, this is an awesome episode. We talked a little bit about understanding financing, just understanding how many loans you can have, whether you whether you can qualify for them or not. These are residential loans when you're building up your portfolio. Something that I took away from it, it was that Bree said, you know, her husband could uh, theoretically qualify for 10. Bree could theoretically qualify for 10 others if she had a job and all that kind of stuff at the time. So whatever you can qualify, you can get. So you, I never thought about it like that. I always thought, well, if I'm married or single, I can, I can end at 10. But that's really cool because you're two, you can be two separate entities and it's possible that you could get to 20. And we talked a little bit about that you were able to use a portfolio lender, more of a commercial type lender to pull down that portfolio after you sent out 20 different um, calls and got no's, which was really awesome. On LinkedIn, you were able to get that taken care of. And what, just real quick to the listener, what are the considerations from how soon that they should, how soon should they go to commercial versus using the residential? What are the major, I guess, determining factors? Uh, really, it's just what your game plan is. You know, I knew based on the, the cost of the market that I was in, I knew that we were going to get past our ten. There was no way that we would only have 10 properties. Um, So I knew at some point we were going to have to go into commercial. And one of the reasons why we went after four was because we wanted the ability to cash out refinance on Mm. the properties that we currently owned. And I think that rule changes at five. Um, So that was the reasoning behind that. Love it. Love it. And we also talked about, you know, mo money, mo problems with out-of-state rentals and 10 caps being... 
uh, potentially scary compared to a five or six or seven cap. And we also talked about just the different asset classes and which ones that you're looking at. So just to sum it up on the asset classes between A, B, and let's just say C, because I already know you're not going to say D. If you were to focus on just one asset class going forward, would it be A, B, or C? That depends on the strategy, really. Um, so I've got solid Bs and I've got solid Cs and they're both great markets and they both have, but they've got different pros and cons. That's the reality of it. Um, so I, I like having both portfolios still. Um, you know, if I, I'm a little bit on the riskier side. So as long as I had the ability to scale, I would probably go into a, a C again, but I would also go into a B again, no problem. Okay. Awesome. And so a lot of it comes with um, your own, your, how you respond to change, how you respond to pressure. Cause drama. the C might, yeah, drama. C, C might be a drama. little bit more, uh, work. Yeah. And the B's are, might be a little less effort. You can almost more like an autopilot. Absolutely. Uh, awesome. Awesome. I like that. Great advice. Any other parting advice? Oh, you got your, you got your, uh, Summit. Midwest conference yes. coming up. Yes. Tell us a little bit about it. Yep. The Midwest Real Estate Networking Summit is a two-day conference. It's going to be virtual this year. So it's July 25th and 26th. Uh, we have some fantastic speakers. Uh, let's see. From Bigger Pockets, we've got Matt Faircloth, Brian Burke, David Green. We've got Jake and Gino this year. We've got Dan Hanford, um, some awesome Ash Cash, who's a personal investment um, uh, speaker. So we have a lot of really excellent speakers. It's a completely virtual event which is different than what we're used to, you know, and the, the biggest part of the event is networking, right? So it's been, we've been spending months figuring out how we're going to involve the networking and still be able to do the conference. So we've got different breakout sessions. We've got virtual coffee breaks. We use an event app that has a community board that allows you to send messages back and forth and, you know, post topics and have discussion forums all within the event app during the conference. So we're really excited about it. That'd you can great. find information at MidwestRESummit.com. All right. So we'll put MidwestRESummit.com in the show notes so the listener can just scroll down right now. Bree, what is the best way for them to reach out to you, to find you, get a hold of you? I know you're a real estate agent and you help people do burrs and you have about 100 uh, investor clients that you're helping get investment properties. What's the best way to get a hold of you? Uh, my best place is probably LinkedIn. Um, so it's Bree Schmidt or on Bigger Pockets. Perfect. And those links will be in the show notes, the Bree Schmidt on LinkedIn, as well as Bigger Pockets. Bree, I appreciate you jumping on. Appreciate all your time. We, we learned a lot of cool things about uh, understanding finances, financing between smaller multifamily, the considerations behind it, out-of-state investments, which asset classes to go to. And I really, really appreciate your time. I encourage the listener to check out the Midwest. Tell me how to say it. Midwest. Real Estate Networking uh, Real Estate Summit. Networking Summit. Um, I d encourage you to check that out. There's uh, Bree and the other co-founders are just great people and they put on a great, good show. And all of those speakers that you mentioned are friends of mine, uh, really good people. And so I recommend it. Jump into the show notes. I'll let you go. But until next time, think outside the box. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. And if you got value from this episode of the podcast, please take the time to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Give us a written rating and a review. We'd really, really appreciate it. I'm going to let you go. But until next time, think outside the box. <laughs>